Bibles, please meet me in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It could please stand to your feet in reverence to God's holy word. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. All right. And it reads, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, but this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit does not, that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are free you, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Amen. You may have your seat. That's Pastor.com. Good morning. Good to be with y'all this morning. It's pretty obvious who the uh, introverts are in the room. All the introverts are like, I'm not getting up. I'm not getting up. Let this pass. Let this pass. And all the extroverts are like, yay. It's been uh, two and a half years since we've actually done that. So it'll take some practice to get back into it, but we will. Uh, it's a great morning to be with y'all. We will continue our series here in the book of First John. It's about loving God and loving other people. That's the, the whole crux of this small little letter. And today, we're, uh, we've been journeying through a, a classroom school setting. And if you've been with us along the way, we've kind of made the analogy with John as he walks us through uh, the school all the way from uh, testing things, to playing, getting ready to play ball in the gym, to practicing. This morning we'll, we'll be back into a classroom setting. So think of it in that, those terms. I'll, I'll probably get this question uh, two or three times a week. So I'm going to answer the question uh, this morning, but I'm going to answer it because I have to because of the text. And here's the question I often get. How many pairs of shoes do you have? Now, you might be thinking to yourself, how does this have anything to do with God's Word? I'm going to show you here in a second. I love tennis shoes. I probably have 45 pairs. That's a, I don't know how many pairs I have, but I have a lot. It looks like my closet is throwing up on itself. Now, that all started when I was in middle school. Uh, I grew up uh, with, uh, when I was really little, uh, and I, I had to go to like Payless to get, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Payless. I, I just, my parents were not going to spend a lot of money on shoes because I went through shoes so much so quickly. Well, then I discovered in middle school to fit in, you had to have the cool shoes, right? Am I the only one? Okay, Josh, I guess I'm talking to you this morning. All right, I got you. So I started saving my money, saving my money, saving my money, saving my money. And finally, got the first pair of Reebok pumps that ever came out. 
And I thought to myself, I was going to be like D. Brown. If you know D. Brown, he's the one that won the slam dunk title because he had pumps on him. Covered his face, jammed it. I had those. And from then on, the obsession grew. My favorite pair of tennis shoes of all time are Michael Jordan's uh, Jordan's 11. Now, the Jordan's 11 have the patent leather. That's the shoe that came from Space Jam, if you're young enough or old enough to remember the first and best Space Jam. The, the only Space Jam. So I had those. Now, I promise I'm going to get to the text. But they went out. You couldn't find them anywhere. And then so one year they came out with them again. They tend to do that now. They come out with the old pair of shoes. So I was probably, I was married to Jenny at the time, so I was probably 28, 29 years old. I finally had some money, and I was like, I'm going to get those shoes again. So I go on eBay, and I'm like, they got those shoes. I spent way too much money on them. And then they came, and I took them out of the box. Now, when they came out of the box, they looked like them. They smelled like them. They felt like them, but when I put them on my shoe to go to the gym to play ball, it was not the same shoe. And within a few minutes, I knew I had got a counterfeit shoe. And, and from that day on, I determined I'm never going to get another counterfeit shoe ever again. And so now they have people that you can send your shoes to that literally will smell your shoe for you. They'll test your shoe for you. They'll count the stitching of your shoe for you. They'll make sure they have the right glue in the shoe for you. Because you're making this huge investment. Now, now shoes have become a huge investment. Like thousands and thousands of dollars that you can put on your feet. Uh, and so you want to make sure you don't have the counterfeit. And that is what John is going to talk about with us this morning. The counterfeit gospel. Because it looks like it's the truth. It, it sounds like the truth. Sometimes it even feels like the truth. But when you start investigating to see if it's true, it comes up with a lot of holes. There's a lot of people in the world today that are selling a counterfeit gospel and making millions of dollars. Just go home this afternoon and turn on your TV. Man, they're really articulate. They hold God's word, but they don't preach God's word. They sell books about it. They sell t-shirts about it. But it's not the true gospel. And that's the warning that John is giving to us this morning. And the warning is, do you know the gospel from a counterfeit gospel? And John wants you and wants me to be able to say, that is what truth is and that is what a lie is. This is what John warned about early on in his letter in 1 John 2.19. It says this. He says, now they went out from us. There was teachers and preachers and prophets that were in the church, he says. And they went out from us, but they were never a part of us. For they had been with us, they would continue to be with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not from us. And so 
John is going to come back full circle, back from John 2 to John, 1 John 4, and says, hey, hey, let's pay attention to what is true and what is not true. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4. He says, for there's a time that's coming when people will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine. They, they won't want it. They won't stomach it. They won't stand for it, is what John, uh, Paul is saying. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. What Paul and John are warning about, let us not have itching ears this morning. Let us be diligent to know God's word, to hold God's word, and not to be like our former mother and father, Adam and Eve. This is what Satan did to Adam and Eve. If you remember in the garden, this is not a new scheme of the evil one. This is as old as old as old can be from the very first time sin entered the picture. It was all about false teaching or false doctrine. This is how you and I, the, the one writer, says it this way. He says, this is one way you can know false teaching from the truth. The first thing that Satan will do when it comes to false teaching he will bring doubt about the truth. Remember, that's what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. Remember what the serpent said to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? And then in that moment, they began to doubt it. That's what God had really said. I don't know what happened in the heart of Adam and the heart of Eve and the mind of Adam and Eve that day. I don't know what brought that doubt. But they began to doubt the truth. And in doubting the truth, then the serpent began to make false claims about the truth. God, did God really say that? Well, this is what God really meant. So doubt will always lead to denial. And denial will always be led to the last thing, distortion. Oh, you can become like God is what the serpent said. Did God really say that? That's not really God said because God, God really has this complex about himself. He doesn't really want anyone to be like him. So you can kind of be like him if you want. And they believe that hook, line, and sinker. And we, if we're honest with ourselves, have done that in our own lives. We have doubted the truth. We've denied the truth, and we've distorted the truth. Turn on the news. How is it we in America have come so far from what marriage has always been? Why? Because we doubted the truth. We deny the truth, and now we distort the truth. And on and on we could go with way... The world is shaping up. Why? Because it goes back to what Paul says. There is a time coming that people don't want to do sound doctrine. Many people say doctrine divides. No, doctrine unites. Now, in having solid doctrine, you will reject people. Like, that is, that is what God's Word says. 
God's word says there's only one way. And so many people want to say, no, no, there's more than one way. And we begin to be like, well, we got to be inclusive. We can't be those people. And John is like, no, no, let, let me warn you, warn you against that. Let us not deny the truth. Let us not distort the truth. Let us not doubt the truth. And the writer goes on to say it this way. Well, how do we do those things? If we're not to doubt the truth, deny the truth, or distort the truth, then what are we to do with the truth? The writer says this, you must know the truth. So do we know the truth? If you've ever wondered, why does Todd take so much time? Why did we spend two years in the book of Genesis? Because I want you to know the truth. I don't want you to know ideas about the truth. I don't want you to know stories about the truth. I want you to really know the truth for yourself. So do we, as a church, do we know the truth? And then in what we know about the truth, do we hold it with conviction? There's one thing to know the truth, but not to hold it with conviction. The conviction is the thing that motivates us with what we know. Because if we just simply know it and we don't do anything about what we know, we don't really know it and believe it. Are you and I being led with conviction because we know the truth? And lastly, he says this. Once you know it and you hold to it, you will be able to distinguish from the counterfeit. Back to the story of the shoes. You see those men and women that you send your shoe to, they know what the true shoe is. They spent a lot of time studying it. A lot of time. And they hold it with conviction. Like, they aren't going to let it slide. They're not going to let one pair of shoes slide in front of them if there's even one stitch off. They're like, nope, that can't be sent out. Because they can distinguish from the counterfeit. I've said this story before. I'll say it again. You know, you know when it comes to somebody in the bank that holds a dollar bill. It's not that they study the counterfeit bills. There's too many counterfeit bills to be studied. So what do they do? They simply study the truth, the true bill. So then they, every time a counterfeit bill comes in front of them because they hold the knowledge of what they know to be true about the truth of that bill, anything else they can reject. Is that true for us, church? Because that is what John is saying to us this morning. He puts us back into the classroom. And he's not saying to us, hey, let's, let's look at all those counterfeit gospels. We would be here to oblivion and never tackle every single one. So John's saying, let's look at what the truth really is. He does it in three ways. He's going to tell us, hey, this is the test. This is the reason for the test, and this is how we test it. So let's look at the test. He says, too, there has to be a test. He says this in the very first few words. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. And when we come to that text, 
we can read it one way, but the Greek says it this way. He says it this way. He says, beloved, stop believing the lies is what he says. Hey, do not believe every spirit. In other words, what the Greek says is stop believing every spirit, which tells us they must have been beginning to believe in other spirits. He's not saying to him, hey, don't believe it. He's saying, hey, you already are believing it. Now stop what you're doing. He says you're going to have to test what you're beginning to fall into. So this morning for you and for me, have we started believing things that, not, that are not true about God's word? Because he's going to tell us later on in the text, the world is believing what the world wants you to believe in. And they are cunning, and they are baffling, and they are powerful. And yet the church in America has begun to believe in things that are simply not true in God's word. Have we not? And so John is saying to even us, as he said almost 2,000 years ago, stop. Stop believing in those lies. So how are we to stop believing in those lies? It's what the writer of Acts says, Luke, the great physician says. He says this, how are we to stop that then? He says this in Luke, or in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now these Jews were noble, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. How many of us come into the church with all eagerness to see, receive the word? Well, here's the deal with the eagerness. If you simply just have eagerness, you don't have enough. Because then the writer goes on to say this. They received it with all eagerness, but then they began to examine the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. So they were coming into the church house with great eagerness, but then they took the word that was being preached to them and went home and opened God's word for themselves and studied it on their own. If all that you're doing is hearing it from me and not taking what I say from this pulpit home with you, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're not doing me a disservice. And you and I must take God's word with all eagerness, but with that eagerness, we must sit down with God's word and study it on our own. And you and I, all we need is God's word. Because God is faithful to his, his word and God will reveal to you what he wants you to see in his word. That is, that is all we're doing on Wednesday night. It is as simple as it can be. If you come on Wednesday night, we're going to do three things. We're going to open God's word. We're going to read God's word together. Then we're going to ask ourselves this question. What do, what do I see in God's word? What is the Holy Spirit revealing to me in God's word? We have no commentaries. We, we have no Bible software. We simply have God's word. So what do we see in the passage? Then what, what is the spirit invoking me about what I'm reading? And then I, we ask the question, what do we need from God and one another with what he's revealing to us? And you can do that on your own on Thursday morning. And on Friday morning, and on Saturday morning. What do you see? What do you feel? And what is God revealing to you? In the text, 
But you have to have the eagerness and you have to have the examination of the Scriptures. You must put God's Word to the test. Because if not, you will be led astray so easily. Do you and do I know God's holy word? He goes on to say, put it to the test. And now here's the reason for that test. He says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. The reason for the test is there's a lot of false prophets out there. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Again, the dude in Texas with a, well, it's a terrible haircut, but he's got pretty hair, though. I mean, I'm jealous of that guy's hair. I just wouldn't cut it like that. You know, Joel Osteen. I'm just going to name names. He is a false prophet. Now, you read his books. You listen to him. You're like, yeah, man, I want my best life now, too. But when you start reading it and matching what he says with Scripture, it's like, that's nowhere to be found. And on and on I can go with false prophets. But there's a, they have a huge following. And we can get caught up in the following. But there are many, many false prophets out there. Here's what I know to be true. And I'm not saying this about everyone. I just know if you have a large following, it's probably because you're not telling the truth. Remember what happened to Jesus when he started telling the truth? He had a large following to begin with. And then he's like, okay, all you people that are following me, now let me start telling you even more harder and harder truth. And those people are like, I'm out of here. What he said to him was, I'm like, I don't know how he pulled this one off. But he's like, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, that's crazy. That's what they said. That's what the text says, literally. And all of a sudden, these people that were following Jesus, because they wanted to see the miracles, they wanted to be fed by him, they wanted to see this circus show, they're like, nah, I'm out of here. He started telling people the truth. Remember what happened at the very end. He told his closest disciples the truth. And what did they do? His closest friends deserted him. So if there's a huge following over one man, just be weary of that. Be really cautious of that. There was a man this week in the news. He had a huge church in Illinois. It's called Harvest Chapel. I'll tell you the name of it. His name is James McDonald. Now, early on, when, if you listened to him, read his book, you're like, man, that dude is solid. And then he began to believe in his own hype. And then he began to have this massive rage anger issue. And they like, hey, man, James, you need to go get some help. And he's like, no, I don't. Those are my words. That's not exactly how he said it. But he's like, I got a better way to do it. So he left that church and went down to Florida and started another church. Now, this week, he punched a lady in the face. Now, how's that happen? Yeah, he decked her because she backed into his truck. I don't think that's a man of God. But man, 10 years ago, we would have been like, man, that dude, I follow him anywhere. But when you start listening to him even 10 years ago, you're like, that doesn't sound quite right. 
And now look where he's been. You see, there are so many false prophets out there. He goes on to say this. This is what Jesus says himself about the reason for testing those false prophets. He says this in Matthew chapter 7 at the, near the very end of the greatest sermon ever preached on the planet. He says, beware the false prophets who come to you, how? In sheep's clothing. They look cute, they look cuddly, they look fluffy. But inwardly, they're what? Avenous wolves. You know what wolves want to do? They want to devour you. He says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered in thorn bushes or figs in thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad fruit. Do we know false prophets? And now John is going to tell us, well, then how do we put this all to the test? You're telling us to test. You're telling us to test false prophets. So how are we to make sure we know what we know to be true and we know to make sure what is a lie? He's going to tell us three things that we are to test. Let me read that passage, verses 2 through 6. By this, you will know the Spirit of God. By this, you will know the truth. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard and was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and having overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. You are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever does not know God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So three things we are to test that John says to us. The first is this, you must test who Jesus is. You must know the gospel is what John says. He says that in verse 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that what? Confesses Jesus Christ is what? From God. So the first test that we must come to and face is this. Simply, first and foremost, do you know who Jesus is and do you know what Jesus did? It's called the gospel, the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ this is how one writer defines the gospel. God, through the perfect life, that's Jesus. Jesus had a perfect life. Do you first believe that? He was a sinless man. He was from God. He was God. And he was perfect. It says this, and he had the atoning death. What that means is that his death eradicated sin. Like there was an appeasement to the wrath of God through Christ's blood. That's the atonement. That's what we celebrated last weekend. Do you believe in the, the atonement of Christ? And he says, not only do you believe in the atonement, the death of Christ, but do you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that Christ literally raised from the dead? No other man was raised from the dead that way 
And then he says this. What was he? What did he have a perfect life for? What did he have an atoning death for? And what did he raise from the grave for? It was to rescue all of his people from the wrath of God. Do you believe first that you and I deserve the wrath of God? That our sin is what brings us separation from God. And therefore, because of that separation, the wrath of God must occur because God is a holy and just God. There is wrath for all those who do not know him. But because of Christ, that wrath has been satisfied at the cross. Do you believe that to be true? He says, because when you believe that and you believe that he rescued you from God's wrath, then you now have what? Peace with God. Do you believe you, if you are a Christ follower, have peace with God today? And then the writer goes on to say this about the gospel, about Jesus. Not only do we have peace with God, but we have the promise of a full restoration. Not in this lifetime, but the life to come. You will be fully restored before the holy God. That's not because of anything you've done. That's because of everything that Christ has done for you and accomplished on the cross and at his resurrection. And then he says this lastly. The gospel, when we believe those things, will bring us to a place to praise and glorify the God of the universe. Is your salvation leading you to praise God? That is the first place about our test the belief about who Christ is. Remember what Christ himself said in John 14, 6. Do you believe this to be true about the gospel? Jesus said, for I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is the gospel. There is no other way. Do you believe that, church? There is no other way to God the Father except through God the Son, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? That is what John's first test is. It is the gospel. He goes on to say this, not only is it the gospel, but in verses 4 and 5 he says this, we must test what we believe to be true about eternal life. Now what John is saying in this text, he's not talking about the life to come. That's not the eternal life he's talking about. The life that he's talking about in this text is do you, because of what Christ has done for us, do we live in a state of knowing what is to come? And do we live and believe that? Do you believe and do I believe in the life and death and resurrection that Christ now dwells in me? Do I believe this and do I live this out? Peter says it this way. In 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to a life of godliness. That happens at your salvation. You now have everything you need to live a life of godliness. That is eternal life because that is the life you will live. And so you can live that life today. No, not perfectly, not sinlessly, but you can live a godly life because of what Christ has done in you. He goes on to say, through the knowledge of him who called you, I live a life of godliness and have everything I need to live that life through what? My knowledge of him. Do I know him? 
Because if I know him, then I'm going to live a life of godliness through him. Do we believe that, church, this morning? Who called us into his own glory and excellence. The first test, do you believe in the gospel? The second test is, do you believe in what the gospel has done for you and in you? And the third test, he says this, now do you believe in the word of God? Let me read that text at the end, verse 6. We are what from God. If you have salvation today, you are a child of God and you are from God. Do you believe that first and foremost? He says next, whoever knows God listens to us. Do you know God? Because what he is saying, the prophets and the teachers that John is talking about, we know God and therefore you will know us because we know God. Are you able, is what he's saying, to distinguish the lie from the truth? Because what we're telling you is truthful. He goes on to say this. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God will not listen to us. They won't listen to the truth. The world's not going to listen to us. The world does not care about what we have to tell them. They're going to go contrary to that. So if you start becoming like the world, that's a problem. But I guarantee this, the world's not going to start becoming like us. There has to be a distinction. The only distinction is, do you know God's word? Because when you live out God's word, you will live a distinct life. Now that distinct life will lead, lead you to a life of persecution. If the holiest man to ever walk the planet was crucified, what's going to happen to you and me who are not the holiest people to ever walk the planet? That is what John is talking about. He says, goes on to say this. By this, we, what? We know the truth and we know the spirit of error. Do you know the spirit of truth and do you know the spirit of error, church, this morning? Again, Paul says it best to young Timothy. Young Timothy is this young, inspiring pastor who's kind of taking over all the places that Paul had planted churches. And so he's kind of giving this charge to young Timothy. And he says this to young Timothy, and he's saying to young Timothy, do you believe this? And I would say the same to us, church, this morning. Do we believe this? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Every word, every T cross and I dotted is from God Himself. This entire book has been inspired by God, written by man. It was inspired by God. And God used the hand of a man and a few females to write it. Do you believe that and do I believe that? Are you like, ah, there's some of it that, I'm not sure he wrote that. That's what the world would say. Ah, that's not really what God meant. Like, God didn't really mean for a man to be with a woman and a woman to be with a man. That's not really how, ah, it's kind of, that's outdated. That's what people are saying now. Ah, God didn't really mean not to kill babies. That's not really what he meant. On and on I could go. 
God's word is really clear. Like it's really black and white. But you've got to know it. You've got to distinguish what the lie is and what the truth is. He says because all of Scripture is breathed out by God and it's for a few things. It's profitable for teaching. It's good for reproof and correction. That means discipline. And it's for training in righteousness. So if you're coming to God's Word, is God's Word profitable for you? Is it rebuking you? When you come to God's Word, is God's Word bringing any kind of uh, conviction to you? And are you able to then go teach it to other people? He said that's what the Word of God is for. That the man or woman of God may be what? May be complete. To be complete means you've got to know God's Word. If you don't know God's Word, you won't be complete. So that you can equip for every good work. Do we believe that church this morning? Do we know there's a, there are false prophets? Do you know therefore we must test the counterfeit? Do you know the reason for testing the counterfeit is because it, it, there's so many false prophets? Are you testing what you know about Christ? Are you testing what you know about eternal life? And are you testing what you know about God's holy word? I want to give you one last way of application. This is from A.W. Tozer in his small little pamphlet called Discerning the Spirit. If you, if you don't have it, never read it, just go on uh, Amazon, you can get it. So these come out of his little pamphlet. He says this is seven ways we can discern the Spirit. Whether it's from God or from the world. The first way he would say this. How does the teaching of God's word affect my relationship with God? Meaning, is it drawing me closer to God? So how is the teaching of God's word affecting my relationship with God? The second one is this. How is the teaching affecting my attitude towards Christ? Third is, how does this teaching affect my attitude towards the Scripture? I, I pray almost every week that you, because of the teaching that happens in this pulpit, would fall in love with God's Word. Like you would love it more than anything else. And I pray my teaching does that. That you would gain an attitude towards the Scripture that you love. The fourth one says this. How does the teaching of God's word affect my personal life? Is it changing me to become more like him? Or is it changing me to become more like the world? Three more and we're done. How does this teaching affect my relationship with other believers? That's what... John's been talking about this whole. If we are not falling more and more in love with him because of God's word, we've got problems. Two more. How does the teaching of God's word affect my relationship with the world? Am I falling so much in love with God that I begin to hate the world? 
and disdain the things of the world. That's what God's word will do for us. We'll hate the things of the world. And lastly, how does God's word and God's teaching of the word affect my attitude towards sin in my life and the life of others? May we have discerning hearts in this church. Let me pray for us.